As always, I'll remind our uh, young people that we have Children's Church. That is good for nursery all the way through second grade. And uh, I believe they've already made their way out the door. So we want to uh, encourage you, if you have any kids at that age and they want to, they can head out to Children's Church. Obviously, they are welcome here and we are glad to have them as well. But for the rest of us, we are going to be closing out Acts chapter 2 this morning. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through to verse 47, which is the end of the chapter. And so if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God says this, it says, They devoted themselves... To the apostles' teaching, this they is the new church, is the, the people who had come to saving faith in Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Please be seated. Has anyone here ever put together a piece of furniture from Ikea? Couple, couple of young men throwing their hands up. No, I thought there'd be more ladies that put their hands up, but it was just a couple of guys. When Liz and I uh, bought the house that we live in right now, we'd been living here for a couple years, and, and the church had, had called me as the, the, the next senior pastor uh, here at Tunnel Hill. And so we were decided it was time to, to move into a, a bigger house, something that would be more permanent for us. Um, as we had, you know, realized God was calling us to stay here in Kentucky. And, you know, when you buy a bigger house, suddenly you have more rooms. And if you have more rooms, you need to have more furniture. Do you guys get that math? Uh, I didn't get that math. My wife informed me that that's how the math worked. Um, and so when we realized we needed to buy some more furniture, my wife got this really excited look in her face and, and said, we should go to Ikea. Well, I didn't know anything about Ikea at all, and you, am I right? I, I didn't know anything about Ikea. Next thing I know, we are in a minivan that has all the seats taken out of it, and we're on our way to Ikea, and I had no idea what was about to happen to me. <laughs> and we show up at Ikea, and you start to go through Ikea, and you, when you walk in, you know, the first thing they do is they, they trick you into going all the way to the second floor just right off the bat, and then you don't know how to get out. I saw exits. They all said if I tried to touch them, that alarms would go off. I was scared to death. And so you start going through, and, and they've got all these rooms set up, and some look like bedrooms, and some look like living rooms, and some of them are like, hey, if you are in a tiny apartment, you can do everything in one room, and, and they tell you which way to go. And so we go through Ikea, and we, we, we try out couches and, 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 you know, lay on them and sit on them and, and do all those things. And, and, and we finally got to the place where we picked a couch out. And so I was like, well, now what? And they said, well, write down, here's a piece of paper and a pencil, write down what it is. And so I wrote it down. And then we get to the end, and, and I kind of thought I was done. And my wife was like, no. <laughs> now we get to look at the kitchen stuff. And next thing I know, I'm in a whole nother room that's got all of these things that I didn't even know what they were, let alone how they pronounced them. 
And we go through, and finally we get to the end, and we show this person the notepad of the, we, specifically there was a couch we wanted to buy. And so we show the person this ca- the numbers, and they say, yeah, go wait over there. And they suddenly bring out this giant card, and instead of bringing me a couch, they brought me three gigantic cardboard boxes. And it was at that moment I knew I had a problem. And so they, they give me these cardboard boxes, and my wife's got the shopping cart through with, full of all the other things that she absolutely had to have. And it wasn't that bad. Halfway through, she let me have some Swedish meatballs and a pack of sandwich cookies. And so, you know, she took care of me. It wasn't that bad. And we load up our minivan, and we, we didn't know it was all going to fit, and we load it all up in there, and then eventually we make our way home. And I suddenly realized that, that I had to put this couch together on my own. And so as I began to open up boxes, and they were numbered, I remember the couch was numbered in boxes one, two, and three, so naturally I started with one um, because I'm smart. And as I open up box one and I find the directions and I open up the directions, I was, I was hit with a very weird moment where I looked at the directions and realized there were no words on the page. Is it, do you remember that? There's no words. And so you're looking at this, and there's numbers. It says one, two, three, and all it has is some guy, you know, some drawn-out stick figure type guy smiling, which never happened when I put together Ikea furniture, <laughs> and, and telling you what pieces needed to go together, but did it with absolutely no words whatsoever. And I remember looking at it that first time and asking myself that question, how on earth? Am I supposed to put a couch together with just pictures? And I think I just stood there for a while dumbfounded. And my wife probably looked at me and thought, oh, no, i got to hit the factory reset on that guy. <laughs> and I finally, and it, if I, really, to be completely honest, I ended up getting some help. Uh, Jamie Watkins came over, and he helped me out. And we ended up putting that couch together, uh, putting that couch together together. But I, kind of, I was actually, you know, somewhat shocked that, that I was supposed to put together, you know, and this wasn't just a, a regular couch. This was one of those couches that converted into a bed and had springs and all these other things. And, and I was trying to think, like, how am I supposed to do this? Can I really put this together just by looking at pictures? Well, I think we might also say the same thing today when we start talking about what it means to be the church of God. You know, if we begin to pour over the scriptures and specifically the New Testament, we begin to suddenly kind of realize that nowhere in the New Testament, not from Jesus, not from Peter, nor from Paul, do we really get a step-by-step instruction on what the church is supposed to do and what the church is supposed to be. It doesn't say, okay, first you need a covenant. And then after a covenant, you need to have, you know, you need to have a, a pastor or elders or, or, or a Sunday school class. It doesn't tell you all those things. It says, okay, when you have your services, the first thing you should do is sing a song, and then you should pray, and then you should sing more songs, and then, and then go on and on and on. We don't get any sort of step-by-step example of how we are supposed to function. But what we do see... And what we see specifically in our passage this morning in the book of Acts is that the scriptures often paint a picture 
before us of what the church did and how the church affected the people around them. And so the question is, can we, with any sort of certainty, know what the church is supposed to look like and what the church is supposed to be by just the pictures that are given to us in the Word of God? Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. Jamie and I got that couch put together. And it is still there, and my daughter uses it way more than I do. And not only that, but I have put together a couch, I have put together dressers, I have put together a wardrobe, I have put together bookshelves, I have put together desks, all from Ikea. You can tell my wife has an addiction. And I think also we can get a pretty good idea of who we are supposed to be and what we are supposed to be doing if we look at the picture that the Word of God gives us about the early church. Now, to do that today, I want to really focus in on one specific verse, and I think we can realize that from this one verse, the rest of them explain it, and that's verse 42. Let's look at that again very quickly. He says that they, the believers, the church of God, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So let's think about what the believers were doing. What is it saying that the believers were prioritizing in the early church in these early days? Well, first off, we see that the early church, that the early believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, this word devotion in verse 42 applies to all of the, the other descriptions that we see in the passage. It says that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, to be sure. They were also devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to breaking of bread and to prayers, devoted to all of these things. But we also see in the passage that devotion gets used a second time even after this first time. And it says that they were devoted, this is verse 46, that every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. See, this, word, this idea of being devoted first and foremost to the apostles' teaching really does take priority over the others. It's not that the others are not important. It's not even necessarily that they're less important in the sense that you can get away without them, but they wanted you to know that of first importance in the early church, their devotion was to the teachings of the apostles. See, the followers of Jesus would gather every day in the temple to hear what the apostles had to say and that they would teach them. And they would teach them a lot of ways. They would teach them first from the Scriptures. And it says throughout the, the New Testament and, and throughout specifically the book of Acts that they would go into a place like the temple and later on in the synagogues and they would use the Scriptures to point people to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. This was both for lost people or people that, that did not know about what happened with Jesus or that Jesus was the Messiah so that they might hear the good news and believe, but it was also for affirmation. It was so that the people who had placed their trust in Jesus would hear and be constantly affirmed that indeed Jesus is the Christ. But it went on from here. 
Not only were the apostles' teachings just about, uh, from the Scriptures, but also it was about the teachings of Jesus. You had Peter and Matthew, James and John here in the early church. You had all of the apostles that were there who were telling the people, this is what Jesus says concerning these things and that things. They were teaching them from the words of Jesus. Undoubtedly, the teachings that the apostles are giving, even in this early part of the church, were eventually what made up the book of Matthew and the book of John and even the book of Luke and the book of Mark. We actually can see throughout the book of Acts, in fact, Acts 3, Acts 5, both point out that the apostles regularly met to share with them. Let me give you one such verse. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 says this, and that they were all, this is the early church, they were all together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, what's being said here is this is where the church was spending their days that they would all get together. Now, Solomon's colonnade, we could also, depending on your translation, might say Solomon's porch, was a part of the, the, the court, the outer court of the temple. This was called the outer court or the women's court. This was where anybody and everybody could come to the temple and be in the temple. It wasn't the inner court where, where it could just be the men and, and that's where sacrifices took place, but it was the outer court. And this was a place of teaching. Now, I want to think about just the boldness of this. The Christians, the followers of Jesus, were going into the temple, into the very heart of of the Jewish faith, and proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. We have to recognize that this puts the Word of God and the teachings of Jesus as central in the life and well-being of the church. We should be in the Word daily, We should place the scriptures as the focal point of our gathered time together. And we should seek to not only read the Bible, which is great, but to be obedient to the Bible, to live out the Bible and live out the scriptures, including holding one another accountable. See, it's all well and good to know a lot of Bible, but it is much, much, much better to live out the Bible you know. Our, past, our, excuse me, our mission partner, Stan, once said in a conversation that he and I were having, what is more important, to have tons and tons of Scripture memorized or to take what you have, what you know from Scripture, and to apply it? Which person is being more obedient, the person who knows the Bible but doesn't do it, or the person that only knows a little bit of the Bible but obeys it with all of their heart? It's a good question, isn't it? So even as we look to the scriptures and look to the teachings of Jesus, we can see that Jesus himself placed a high value on both knowing and doing the word. Matthew 7, 24, the beginning of the parable of the two houses communicates it this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. See, we are called to to give devotion to the Word and give devotion to the apostles' teaching that should be a part of our daily life and our weekly life. But in the midst of all of that, we have to be sure that when we say that we are devoted to the teachings, it's not just knowing it, but it is doing it. 
as we go on from there, we see that not only were they devoted to the apostles' teachings, but also to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. I think these two go hand in hand. Now, in the church today, we've kind of taken the word fellowship and, and, and this idea of the word fellowship, and we've placed an emphasis on it that, that is not necessarily the emphasis that we have in the text here. In the modern church, we have sort of hijacked the term fellowship to mean doing stuff that is not Bible study together. So when we think about fellowship, we think about eating, we think about playing, if we have a, a game night, that's fellowship. We think about just that general hanging out. We would even maybe look at something like yesterday, what the men did, which, and not saying this is wrong, but we're going to say like, hey, all these guys got together and had breakfast and, and hung lights and did a bunch of great stuff. It was great fellowship. Now, that's not wrong, but it also, but we want to be careful not to limit it to just social interactions in the church. I would say that like if a bunch of guys in our church get together to watch professional wrestling, that can be fellowship, but that is not necessarily fellowship. A bunch of ladies getting together and going out for dinner, that can be fellowship, but that not necessarily is fellowship. And so we need to look a little bit deeper into our text to begin to understand what does it mean to have fellowship and to be devoted to the fellowship. As we look at what happens here, we should jump down to verse 44. It says, now all of the believers were together and held all things in common. There is certainly a portion of the definition of fellowship that simply means sharing life together. And there is no question that in order for a church to be devoted to the fellowship, the church needs to spend time together. It is, I'm going to tell you this, and, and not everybody's going to like this, but it is impossible to be the church if you're never with the church. There is literally no such thing as the lone wolf renegade church member. That is antithetical. That is not possible. But to be a part of the church means to be with the church. And as we look more and more, we begin to see that it's not just spending time together, but it is also the idea that we have things in common, and indeed that, to the sense of that we share things. He says that they were spending time together, that they were often together, and they held all things in common selling their possessions and property and distributing the proceeds to all who had a need. So an aspect of fellowship and being devoted to the fellowship is the willingness to share more than just your company, but also your resources, your knowledge, and anything you can do to help your brothers and sisters in Christ. So think about this for a moment. When the church rallies to a family who's lost a loved one, when the church disciples each other and encourages one another, has coffee within each other to lift up one's spirits, that is fellowship. 
when the church comes together to help each other fix things, when, when, you have, when you have a skill or you have an ability and so you go and help, and whether it's mending fences literally out on a, in somebody's property or fixing a, uh, fixing a, a appliance that is broken or, or and I know I'm talking like very guy terms here, um, but when you are spending time together helping each other, giving each other what we need to, to, to thrive and to be, to be whole, when we are doing that for each other, that is fellowship. Anything that involves us together using our skills, using our talents, and using our knowledge and offering them up in the name of Jesus to see the body healthier, that is fellowship. Galatians 6.2 says it well when it says, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, when I say something like a bunch of, you know, if a bunch of ladies go out to dinner, that could be fellowship, that could be not fellowship. When those ladies get together and they encourage one another and they build up one another, maybe as we have seen in our church in the past, when you have a lot of ladies that have shared life experiences and, and, and they are, are processing everything that has happened in this world to them and with them, and they come together and they encourage one another and they build up one another and they bring the word of God into the conversation and they just just generally just edify one another, you betcha that is fellowship. When guys get together and they have a, a breakfast together and they're, they're doing work around the, the, the church building and, and some of the guys start teaching other guys stuff that they know or maybe even bringing in some of the young men like, like Eli or, or Josiah here or even Josh, I'll still call you a young man, um, or my son Joseph or Zane, and, and we, they come in and they get to see that stuff and, 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 and hear what they've heard and, and wisdom gets imparted from people who have been there and done that. That is most certainly fellowship. And we see that the early church was devoted to that. And that is definitely something that we can see and that we want to see in our church as well. And beyond just this idea of having all things in common, we also see in the passage, both in, in verse 42 and also later, that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, this term can mean two things for us, and I think it really means both. The first one being the breaking of bread as communion, and that the church would often gather. In fact, I, I think the argument could very easily be made that every time the church got together as the church, they broke bread and they had communion together. And they would celebrate the Lord's death. They would celebrate and share in the Lord's, in the Lord's table. And I think there's a, and this is something that we don't always talk about when we talk about communion. I thought about doing communion, but I didn't want to sp uh, spring it on Jay too late. But when we talk about communion, we don't always think about that it being an act of fellowship in the church. Mostly because most of you are standing there, you're not talking to each other, and you're kind of staring at my ugly bald head. But when we think about communion, what we are doing in that moment is we are acknowledging the fact that everyone in this room who has made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, everyone in this room who is a child of God is acknowledging at the same moment and at the same time that we are sinners and that we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We see this fellowship and this community aspect to that to say, listen, no one here is special. 
No one here is different. No one here is better or worse than anyone else in the room. That every single person here who is in Christ is a sinner who has been saved by grace. And I would challenge you here in just a a few weeks, not that far away, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I would challenge you that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and as you are reflecting on what Christ has done for you and what the, the, the communion means for you, take just a moment and look around and realize that everyone else in this room holding that piece of bread or holding that cup is with you. And that they are your brother and sister in Christ. And the same grace that has been lavished on you has been lavished on them. And they are your people. That's certainly one way that we should look at this breaking of bread, but also we should look at it as just enjoying a meal together. Did you know that in almost every culture in the world, the sharing of a meal together represents the highest form of intimacy and acceptance? Without fail, if you are in any place anywhere in the world and an individual invites you to their home to enjoy a meal, they are saying that they value you, that they care about you, and that they are wanting to have a meaningful relationship with you. Now, that has nothing to do in reality with the food, though that is a way that we show love. And I don't know about you, but you can probably tell by, you know, my build that uh, food means love to me. And it's not so, but it's not so much about the food. When we share a meal one with another, there is a sense of belonging that comes with it. We are saying to other people, you may have been a stranger, but now you belong at my table, that you are like family or you are on the way to being like family. And so we are going to share a meal together. I like what 1 Corinthians 11 says, and this is actually what I liked about this is, is, is Paul is addressing the church in Corinth and he's talking about communion and eating all together in one moment, which kind of hints us in part of that picture that we're painting of the church, that the early church, especially in Corinth, that, that when they gathered for worship, that there was always an aspect of communion and a meal. And that they came together. In fact, it wouldn't have surprised me one bit if they would have their time in the teachings, that they would have their time um, in, in, uh, in worship and in the Word. That probably moved on to a time of meeting needs in the church and in the community. And then it ended with the Lord's Supper that then ushered in the rest of the meal. We would probably, probably if we did it in our most biblical way, we would come together, we would sing, we would hear from the Word, we would take up an offering and, 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 be t- and talk about what's going to go with that offering, and then we would sh- celebrate the Lord's Supper and then eat a meal together. And we would do that every week, which would be awesome because you know how church meals go in this church. But we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is verse 34, 33. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. Because they wanted, Paul was instructing them, listen, everybody belongs at the table with us. 
and that we should all come together and eat together and enjoy that time together because everyone who is in Christ belongs at our table. And we should take the time to know them. And knowing them over food is just a good idea. Finally, we see in our passage, let's see, if going back to verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I want you to, we always hear the, 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 the saying, last but not least, that very much so applies to prayer. We can easily argue that when the church is gathered and the church should, of first importance, uh, focus on the teachings of the apostle, but that does not mean that prayer is of the least importance. In fact, as we go on, we recognize that we are called to be devoted to prayer, and even then we see about the followers of Jesus in our passage that they were constantly praising God and that they, even as they shared meals and all that stuff, that they did so with a joyful and sincere heart. Our church has often been described as a praying church, and I think in the grand scheme of things, we are. And as a praying church, we must certainly go to God with all petitions, all prayers, and all intercessions, as we read in 1 Timothy 2.1, but also go to the Lord with thanksgiving and also in acts of praise like we see in Acts chapter 2. This means that, that we are both praying together as the body of Christ. We pray together as a group. We see our church do that on Sunday mornings. We see our church do that in Sunday school. We see our church do that at, at uh, 7 a.m. on Tuesdays at Bub's Cafe. We have a group of roughly about 10 men that gather to pray. We see that on Thursdays with our ladies who gather at 5.30, right? Okay, good, I'm getting a nod. I'm not a girl, so I forget. But gather at 5.30 here at the church, and they come together to pray and to build up one another. We see it on Wednesdays when all of the adults, as the youth and the children are, are, are doing uh, youth ministry and children's ministry, the adults gather and we spend some time in the Word, and then we spend some time in prayer. And so we should be, in fact, I think we look at our text, and we as a body together, as one group, should pray together. But also, we should pray as individuals. And we should spend our time daily in prayer. In fact, Paul advises uh, the church to pray without ceasing. And that our lives should be a, a life lived in constant communication with the Father. Letting him know what's going on. And while it may not always be heads bowed, eyes closed, it may be driving in the car. Please don't bow your head and close your eyes in the car. But going and driving from point A to point B, just having a conversation with God as you take advantage of the time. And our prayer life should be something that we do both together and separately in all ways and in all things. Pray to God. I love what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 4, 6, he says this. He says, don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, I love this verse because, one, we have the command, pray. Prayers in everything, prayers and petitions, make your request known to God with thanksgiving. 
But then we also see in this passage that, that in a world filled with anxiety and fear and worry and sorrow, one of the first things that we can do to combat the anxiety and the fear and the worry that, that seems to just absolutely envelop us all the time is to pray. And I'm not saying that prayer is going to fix everything, but it's a darn good first step. And when we begin to take all of our worries and all of our fears and all of our anxieties and we begin to give those over to God and we pray, and you know what? It doesn't mean like, dear Lord, please take care of this problem for me. Amen. Well, hey, I'm still anxious. Yeah, no duh. But as we continue in that prayer and continue in that conversation, and when we feel the anxiety beginning to well up inside of us, we begin that prayer and we continue to do that and we continue to do and we pray without ceasing. Well, maybe, just maybe, you will see God work in that situation and you will see God work in your heart and you will find peace. This is the picture of the church that the author Luke and that God paints for us in this passage. But I also want you to know what happened to the world around them. As we look in this, it says that, the, the, that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. But then in verse 43, it says, and everyone, this is not just the believers, this is everyone in Jerusalem, all the Jews, everyone who observed them, everyone was filled with awe. They were filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed around, uh, performed through the apostles. And so we see that, that in the midst of the church being the church, people started to go, whoa, something's happening. And not only, and, and I want to notice this, it says, and everyone was filled with awe and many wonders. It wasn't everyone was filled with awe because of many wonders, that the awe and the wonders were happening side by side. Make no mistake, people were in awe because of the apostles' miracles, but they were just in awe because of the church. Because here's a group of people, and these were Jews from everywhere. From Africa and Europe, from, from Rome and, and Turkey, Tur Jews from everywhere and God-fearing people were suddenly coming together and being one body, one people, worshiping together, getting in the Word together, encouraging one another, providing for each other, praying for each other, and people said, dang, that's different. And I'll tell you something. There may be a church on every corner in Hardin County, but I guarantee you if people start seeing churches do this, they're going to be in awe too. It says they were in awe and all that was going on. And then look at the very bottom. When it, said, when it gets done, it says they ate their food with joyful and sincere, sincere hearts, sorry, praising God and enjoying favor. It says that then they were enjoying favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So not only was there a sense of awe at what they saw the church doing and being, but people not only said, whoa, but they said, that's good. I have no doubt that there were people that were saying, who are they? Who is, who is that person? I know who Gamamiel is. I know who this teacher is. I know who that teacher is. Who's this Peter guy with the, Gal with the, the, the accent that says he's from Galilee? Who's that guy? 
Something's going on over here. This is, you know what? Not only is something going on over here, but something good is going on over here. And so they looked at it and they said, something's going on. This is something amazing is going on. That something amazing is something good. And that something good, I want to be a part of. This was the impact that the church was having in these first days. People saw what they were doing. They were in awe of what they saw. They realized it was good. And they were being saved because of what they saw and heard. This was true in first century Palestine and Jerusalem sometime around 33 AD. This will be true in Elizabethtown, Kentucky in 2024. When we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, knowing them, doing them. When we are devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread, when we are showing true love for one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another, bearing one another's burdens, spending time with each other, having intimacy in the sense of closeness with one another. And when we pray, and we go to the Lord in all things, and we pray for all things, and we trust in the Lord through our prayer in all things. Oh, church, we could change this whole county. We could change this whole state. We could change the world. Yeah, I'd say the Bible can paint a pretty good picture for us, don't you? That couch is still in my house. And this church still sits on Tunnel Hill. Let's go and do what the Word is telling us to do. What do you say? Let's pray together. My God, my exceeding joy. Lord, we praise you for the description of the church that we find in Acts chapter 2. God, we are in awe of what we read here, but God, we realize that, that in these words and in the picture that, that these words give to us, God, that, that we are, are given a high standard. And Lord, when I look at, at our church, I see so many things in this passage that we are doing, but Lord, I see so many things in this passage that we can improve on. And Lord, I know that that has to start with me. That I can't look at this person, I can't look at that person, I can't blame this guy or, 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 or blame this girl, Lord, that I recognize there's places where I need to be the church. And Lord, I pray that that is true for everyone in this room. God, I pray that we will be the change that, that, that we need. God, I pray that we will be a, a, a people devoted to all of these things. And Lord, I pray that the impact that we see the church having in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 is the, the impact that we see our church having in Elizabethtown and in Hardin County in 2024. Father God, I know for some people in this room, that means it has to start with first believing in Jesus. See, when it said that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, part of that was the teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. 
that he was God in the flesh, the Son of God who, who came and he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross to be the, the substitution for our sin, and that he rose from the grave three days later to give us new life in him. Lord, I pray that the first teaching that we devote ourselves to is the fact that we must believe that Jesus is the Messiah that he rose from the grave, and not only believe that, but confess him as Lord of our life. Lord, I know for some people in this room, it means being a part of the church, joining the church, coming into fellowship with the church, and whether that be through baptism or church membership, God, I pray that you would begin to put on their heart that in order to be the church, they need to be in a church. And God, that you would stir up their heart to join uh, whether that is baptism or something else. And Lord, that in joining that they would begin to do all the things that we see laid out. Lord, I pray that we would be a church like we read about in Acts chapter 2. And God, that even as we pray and even as we depart from here today, Lord, that you would just begin to really work in our hearts. And that we would find the same devotion that we see in this church in us. And that you would be glorified. And that people would come to saving faith in Jesus. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.